Around the world, the Spirit is moving and a voice is being heard. Welcome to The Voice of Evangelism with David Langford. You can write to The Voice of Evangelism at P.O. Box 502, Kayser, North Carolina, 28020. We'll give you that address again at the close of today's broadcast. But here now is David Langford. Good evening, friends. David Langford here. We'd like to welcome you this evening to The Voice of Evangelism International Ministries. It's always our prayer that God will touch you through this program in a very, very, very special way. If you were able to tune in yesterday, you sensed an overwhelming presence of the Spirit of God. You know, we never know how God's going to move and when He is going to move. This is why in church services, it is so important to give the Holy Spirit the opportunity to have preeminence. If he wants to move during the singing, the offering, whenever, let the Spirit of God have preeminence and move as he wills. And then if he wants the man of God to preach, the man of God can preach and he can move in the ministry of the Word or in the altar call following. You know, that's something I do is have altar calls. I know many churches have gotten away from altar calls. That means you come down and you might confess sin. and You might confess that you need God's help. What an arrogant, prideful people we have become that we cannot confess our sins and our need to be touched by God. But if you were able to tune in yesterday afternoon, you know at the close of the program, the Spirit of God moved in a very gracious and powerful way. Let me do make mention, we're getting closer and closer to our revival meeting, September the 30th through October the 3rd, Fort Mill, South Carolina, Heritage, USA. If you'd like, it would be more advantageous to book your rooms at Heritage, USA. Uh, there's no taxation there because they are a 501c3 being a ministry they are not taxing you for the room because they are tax-exempt. So there's a blessing in them being a 501c3. It's always sad when you come in, you drive in, you fly in from another state uh, that the cities put a great tax on motels and rental cars because the out-of-state people pay that. Uh, such another injustice and dishonesty in America. Uh, it always costs you and I for the stupidity of our government and its foolish and wicked leadership. It is just a reality. But uh, call, everything is on the website. The time, uh, we're going to begin Friday morning at 9 a.m. I'll be opening it up. The dates are September the 30th through October the 3rd. We'll be closing out Sunday afternoon. We'll be preaching, having worship service Sunday morning, uh, communion, I'm going to dedicate uh, Larray's two little girls, and uh, then we'll have a short baptismal service, and everyone will be able to return home safely. But let me encourage you to come and just be in the presence of God. I hope there's enough interest that we can continue these meetings onward. I pray there's enough interest, but I do know a lot of people sometimes just don't feel the need uh, to go and be a part of something. But uh, I, I want you to be in the presence of the Lord. He'll touch your heart and life in a very, very 
special way. Before we get back into Romans chapter 6 today, I want to play a very beautiful song, a precious song by the Tribute Quartet. It's entitled, I Call It Home. I played it some weeks ago, months ago probably now, but, but I believe it's a, a very, very special song. Listen to the words about calling it home here. Somewhere beyond the grave There is a land Where Jesus went to prepare By his own hand And for the saved by grace There is of resting place and in a few more days well it will be mine some call it heaven I call it
That should be the desire of each of us, to make heaven, call it what you like, but to be in the presence of God for all eternity. We can't imagine. Second, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 2, 9. It is written as I live, saith the Lord. I have not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. That is something that we just cannot imagine. I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God, the deep things of God. We we are so shallow today regarding the deeper things of God. We can know them, but it takes godly pursuit and chasing God for these deeper things. We concluded yesterday from Romans chapter 6, verse 12. We want to pick up today in verse 13. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Let me give you a very, very short synopsis in what Paul is saying. The believer is to never allow their members or their mortal bodies to become instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. Every member of your body can be yielded to the devil in some capacity relative to sin. James said the tongue is an unruly member and full of deadly poison. So your speech, your speech can become an instrument of unrighteousness. You can curse, you can swear, you can castigate, you can lambast, you can do all sorts of things. Your eyes can witness and view wicked and ungodly things. Your hands can smoke Dope, mix heroin, draw it up in a syringe, shoot it in the vein. Your hands can pick up a liquor bottle. Your lips can open up, swallow the liquor. Your nose, as a member, can snort cocaine. I could go on, on and on and on. Your feet can carry you to a place to commit sin, to commit evil. Anatomically, a person can use their body for wrongful sexual acts and deeds. So when Paul says 
neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. He's saying don't allow the faculties of your human body to be yielded to sin. Sin. This is why fornication and adultery are so grievous because they, they, they bring forth such things that compound our lives in many, many ways. You use your body sinfully. You contract venereal disease, rot and ruin. There's a reason God says don't yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness. Your forefinger can be used to pull the trigger on a gun and take someone's life. You know, we read the Bible so shallow, shallowly, however you want to say it, and not realizing the gravity of the words of the apostle when he says, neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness. The same lips that are open to drink liquor can be the same lips and the tongue to praise, to sing, to laud, to extol, glorify, and magnify God. The same lips that you curse constantly, you use four-letter words constantly, those same lips can be used to magnify, to glorify God. I know there are those who curse like sailors, but they say, I'm a Christian. Are you a Christian when you habitually yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin? This is very elementary, rudimentary preaching, teaching. But it's the truth. It's the truth. <laughs> there was a man one day, I heard him, he, he flew off the handle and he released a litany of curse words. I said, can I ask you a question? I used to curse anyway myself. I said, but can I ask you a question? Yeah. I said, did that change anything? No, but it made me feel better. No, it didn't make you feel better. That's a lie. That's deception. It didn't change anything, and it didn't make you feel better because the problem was still there. The problem was still there. And so in this sixth chapter of Romans, the whole motif, the whole theme is about being dead to sin. As I, as I shared with you, I hopefully did a, 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 a modest job yesterday about the sin of adultery, how that all the wreckage and the refuse and the garbage that one act of sin can bring into people's lives. And somehow they think, well, I can sin to this gravity and I'm going to live the rest of my life unscathed. That's not true. That's a lie. You say, well, I'm, I've gotten by so far. Don't be deceived. There's a day of reckoning. And you better pray that you do the reckoning on this side of eternity and not on the other side. Because once you go into eternity lost, you will remain lost for all eternity. You go into eternity saved, you will for all eternity be forgiven, cleansed of your sins forever and ever and ever. As a crucified follower of Christ and possessing the Holy Spirit, we are now well able to yield 
our members or yield our bodies unto God. But you must have God living in you. And God lives in you through the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. You have to have the Spirit of Christ in your life. When you get saved by the Holy Spirit of God, you are then baptized into the body of Christ. That's how we are joined to his body, by a spiritual baptism. It's not with water. No man does it. It's, a, it's an act of God in your life by your faith and what Jesus accomplished on the cross. You can do all the things you want to try to do to save yourself. It is all in vain. It is all absolutely worthless. This is an act of God by you putting your faith by you believing in what Jesus did for you, that's how you are saved. Anything you do after that, you do because you are saved. You know, we see people who do religious acts all the time. They're not saved. You know, you, you see people, especially athletes, you, you know these guys are not living godly lives, but they, you know, they, they do the, the Catholic deal getting ready to uh, shoot a basketball or kick a field goal or whatever whatever it might be they're you know they're doing religious things the world is full of religion because we are born again Christ has now raised us from the deadness of our trespasses and from the deadness of our sin before you were saved you were literally spiritually dead dead. And if you died physically as a dead in your spirit, you go out into eternity separated from Christ eternally. You can't once you go out into eternity, you cannot come back and fix, mitigate, ameliorate anything. It is impossible. That's why life is probation. It's just probation. We 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 desire to get it right. So that when we go out into eternity, and all men, whether by death or by the second advent of Christ, are going out into eternity. You were dead in your sins, both spiritually, and if you had stayed like that, dead in your trespasses physically, and you go out into eternity a sinner. You go out, if you die, if any of us die, we go out either as a sinner or we go out as a saint. You, you, you don't go out half sinner, half saint. You either go out all sinner or you go out all saint. You, you can't be a little bit of both. You're either saved or you're not saved. You're either redeemed and forgiven or you are not. You, you're just not, it's not halfway. I know there are those who'd like to believe that. Well, I, I'm not where I need to be. If you can make that statement, I am not where I need to be, you need to get where you know you need to be. You need to get there. I, I, I know I shouldn't go there. I know I shouldn't say that. I, I know I shouldn't be with this person, whatever the case might be. If you know that, that's your conscience telling you you're in the wrong place, you're doing the wrong thing, you're going in the wrong way. You're, there's something in your life and you're going in opposition to God. How many times 
When I was backslidden away from God, I knew I was doing things wrong. And, and, and the Holy Ghost would check me. When I was afforded the opportunity to go to California and be a part of Johnny Rivers' entourage, the Holy Ghost said, you better not go. I'm in flagrant open sin. They wanted me to play in a nightclub one night. They knew I played drums in times past, and the drummer wasn't there for the uh, engagement. And, and, and the, the manager of the club, Gary Bowles, he, he knew me and knew I played, said, you got to go, you got to go. The Holy Ghost said, you better not go, you better not go. See, I, I would have taken God's gifts and talents and abused them in a worldly way. I would have been, yielded myself even to more wickedness. I was separated from God. See, I, I, I never believed once saved, always saved. You can't live like I was living and be saved. It's impossible. That's, that's impossible. How people can believe that damnable heresy, I can be fornicating, committing adultery, getting drunk, getting high, but I'm still saved. You're crazy. <laughs> Forgive me for being so honest, but you're crazy. You're believing heresy. You're believing fallacy. That's like playing with a, 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 a in a blacksmith shop with all the iron and all the fire and the billow and all of the things and say, I'll never get burned. Hang around long enough. You'll get burned. Welders don't mean to get burned. They get, in, they get into welding huge containers, and they get sunburned because it's reflecting off the walls of the container. They literally get physically burned. They don't realize it while they're doing it. It's afterwards. See? Let some of that slag fall on you. Yeah, you'll get burned. That's a reality. You, you, this old saying is true. You can't play with fire and not get burned. And the devil wants to burn every one of us in some capacity. And how does he burn us? He tempts us to yield our members as instruments of unrighteousness. But Paul says, don't do that, but rather yield yourselves unto God. Yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead. I was dead in my trespasses. God forgave me, redeemed me, restored me, cleansed me, now made me alive from the dead. My works are not dead now. My works are righteous living works, and they will, they will be honored in time to come. And so it is with the wicked dead. Now, they will be dishonored in time to come, but I don't know how God's going to do it. If he's going to have a huge video screen and for thousands of years going to judge people. If he wanted to take that time, he could. I don't believe it'll take that long. Whatever God does, he's going to do very quickly. And every knee's going to bow, every tongue's going to confess whether they want to or not. But we're told in Revelation 20, verse 13, and the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. God's going to judge every man. Now, the sad thing is, in the great white throne judgment, you're just judged for your wickedness and punished and penalized according to the gravity of your sins. There's, there's, you don't get to go to heaven. There's no redemption. There's no forgiveness. There's no reconciliation. There's no repentance. 
None of those things exist at the great white throne judgment. Now, the Bema seat for the believer, we're just judged according to our righteous works in the sense of what we're going to receive as rewards. Revelation 22, 12, Behold, I come quickly. My reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. So, two judgments, and, and, and they're based on the works relative to the instruments of our humanity. God wills that our members become instruments of righteousness unto him and his service. God wants my faculties used for his service. My mind, my eyes, I read, I listen, uh, I, I preach, I teach, I, I do videos. My instruments, my physical extremities, my physical instruments are used for righteousness. See? Now, we alluded to might have been yesterday or the day before, or the week before in, in Romans 6 and 12, a negative admonition, and the term is dehortation, to advise against doing something. Well, in, here in verse 13, we have a positive admonition. That's better known as an exhortation concerning the believer, and that is to be completely Yielded to God. So we are exhorted when Paul said, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead. In verse 12, he says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. That is a dehortation. That is an, an, an advisement, an advisory to not do something. Don't do that. Don't go there. Some weeks ago, I shared with you that there's a time and a state when raising children every day, don't say that, don't do that, don't touch that, don't look at that, don't, it's don't, 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 don't. Why? They're at that stage in life, they've got to be taught principles. And most time, it is a dehortation of saying, don't do something bad, evil, whatever. Don't do it. Don't do it. But in verse 13, it is an exhortation, and the exhortation is, yield yourselves unto God. This is why we must crucify the flesh. If you don't crucify the flesh, your flesh, if you're not careful, will be given over to the works of the flesh. That's, sinning is easy. Sinning is easy. Keeping from sin, abstaining from sin, not allowing your body to sin, that's where it takes work and effort. And by the way, works don't save you. But you keep your body crucified. See, when something is crucified, it's dead. Paul used the term in Colossians, mortify. The word mortify means the same thing. Crucify it, kill it, keep it dead. The great Renowned passage in Romans 12 and 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good 
and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace of God given to me to every man that is among you, that a man ought not think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man, every man the measure of faith. Let's back up for just a minute. Paul said, I beseech you, brethren, I implore you, I beg you, and I do it by the mercies of God. It's by the mercy of God I'm alive, you're alive. It's by the mercy of God that, 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 that the, the nation of America is still standing. It's by the mercies of God. By, I, 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 I beseech you, I implore you, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice. Now, there's a problem there. A living sacrifice could crawl off of the altar. When they put that offering on the Old Testament altar, that offering was dead. That's why they cut its throat. They didn't throw a live lamb on the big, huge, brazen offer. It was dead. Thus, there was no resistance. There was no kicking. There was no wallowing. There was no trying to get off the altar from the fire. They laid that dead sacrifice on that altar. But Paul said, you present your body a living sacrifice. Now, we are physically dead to the world, the appeal the world has for our eyes. And if we present our bodies a living sacrifice unto God, he said, that is a reasonable service. It's not unreasonable for you to crucify, to mortify your flesh. That's God's not asking something unreasonable of you. As a matter of fact, if we live like that, God saves us from much hurt, injury, and harm. As I hope I shared yesterday about all the problems with adultery, you know, divorce, broken homes, scarred children, scarred emotions, eviscerated emotions, alcohol, drug abuse, dysfunctional children, uh, dividing personal property, real estate, business, uh, uh, the loss of one's career, and even the, the opportunity for, for suicide because of the evisceration of one's life because of that sin. But if you keep your body as a sacrifice on the altar of God, you'll never come into that element. As I, as I said yesterday, if you never commit that act of sin, you never have to deal with those ugly repercussions. Never. See, people drink liquor for years and years and years, and the doctor says, you got cirrhosis of the liver. Why did God do that to me? God didn't do that to them. They did that because they abused their body. Sadly, people who smoke cigarettes and they get lung cancer. Why? You, 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 you induced carcinogens into your body every day. And there's a penalty for that. You're abusing the body. I don't understand that. But people do it every day. It's the power of sin. Sadly, the power of of addiction. It controls their lives. 
So we are to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy, H-O-L-Y, a vessel that is fit for this sacrificial use. God required a spotless lamb. See, he didn't want them bringing uh, lambs that had withered ears or blind in one eye or, or lame in one leg. He, he wanted something that was goodly because it was a substitutionary sacrifice for the people's sins. In Romans 12 and 2, Paul then says, and be not conformed to the world. You know, one of the sad things in the modern church is the modern church looks like the world and the world looks like the church. Now, I know when new converts get saved and they're newly converted, there's a lot of growing, a lot of things they've got to change. But you know, if you've been a Christian 10 years and, and, and you're still doing the same old garbage and filth and going to the same old places and, and you look the same old way and you've never changed, what happened to that verse in 2 Corinthians 5, 17? Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You know, when I got saved, I had long hair. Well, well down below my shirt collars. I thought it was cool. I was in rebellion. Bible said, doth not nature self teach you if a man have long hair, it's a shame. Does the Bible not tell you that, Paul said? Does the scriptures, does nature, does nature itself, it's, it's just in, 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 inherent in us. It's innately within us to know a man ought not have long hair. But you see it all the time. It's rebellion. It's rebellion. Okay. Be not conformed to the world. You see, this is why the devil wants to get the world into the church to change the church to look like the world. That's not the way it's supposed to be. I'm not talking about dogmatic legalism. I, there's a lot of that out there. There's legalism in many forms. You've got to keep the Sabbath. You, you, you can't eat a shrimp. You can't eat lobster. You can't eat liver much. You can't eat sausage. There is so much legalism in so many things. What happened to moderation? Paul said, let your moderation be known unto all men. Be moderate. Be moderate. Yet people can't. They overindulge in everything. He said, don't be conformed to the world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. You may not know this. You may not be mature enough to understand this, but your mind must be renewed from some of the things you've been taught, some of the things you think, some of the things that you think are right. They're not right, they're wrong, but you've been taught it, so your mind must be renewed. The mind, the mind, the mind must be renewed. Ephesians 4:23 and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You see your spirit and the mind of the, your spirit it must be renewed. Be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's just like in theology. You've been taught something it never was right. It was wrong. 
So there has to be a transforming and a renewing in your mind. That's, that, that's why the early church, and the older I get, the more I see how they terribly, terribly struggled with that. My God, they kept preaching circumcision, circumcision, circumcision. I mean, just hammering it. It, it, it had to be an unbelievable transformation to say that old system don't work anymore. Jesus has fulfilled the law. Now we live under grace. Peter, Paul, they had to be renewed in their mind. Some of you denominationally have been taught things. They're absolutely wrong. They're absolutely erroneous. They're full of error. And you got to break out of that. And the only way to break out of that is by being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, I know some people ain't going to change their mind no matter what you show them. I can give people Bible Scripture upon Bible Scripture upon Bible Scripture and tell them there's no pre-trib rapture, but they're not going to believe me because they don't want to believe me. They don't want to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Folks, when Paul said, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That, that, is, that is such a, 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 a great and grand demand on the life of the believer for the mind to be transformed and to be renewed. As I've said it, and I'll say it till I die, if you are growing in grace and in knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, you are changing, you are transforming, you are being renewed. See, that, that, that transformation is a godly transformation. It's not a wicked one. It's a good transformation. And so the mind must be renewed. And here's what he, notice what he, what's the next phrase there in, in Romans 12 and 2. That ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. If you will not allow your mind to be transformed and allow your mind to be renewed, you'll never find out what is the perfect and acceptable will of God. You can't get there. I know in my heart, I watch it. God is trying to change people's minds right now about some fallacy in their life. But the problem is they're too proud because if they change, they say, well, I was wrong. Do you not think Peter, James, and John, and all of these men had to come to the same conclusion, I'm wrong about circumcision? Now, I know that had to be hard to admit, but they were wrong. But they were willing to be transformed and have their minds renewed. Notice the eloquent statement in Acts chapter 15 concerning all of this. They said it seemed good to us and to the Holy Ghost to lay upon you no greater burden than these. They had, they had to change. They had to change. Yet the Pharisees, those were the real clod busters, that it was needful to circumcise all the Gentiles 
See, they, they, they were grappling. How is it God's given them the Holy Ghost? Even as he gave the Holy Ghost to us. And he's obviously making no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. God is doing the same thing to the Gentiles he's, he did for us. You see, it's an unwillingness to change, an unwillingness to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Unwillingness. You can't do that. Now, let's, let's be honest here. Is pre-trip fallacy a sin? Absolutely not. It has nothing to do with your salvation. But it's doctrinal correction. Remember 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is probable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and instruction in righteousness, that the man of God might be perfect or mature, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. You see, as you're growing, you're changing. You're growing in grace and in knowledge. You're being renewed in the spirit of your mind. There's a transformation taking place in your life. You're being transformed metamorphosis. There's, there's a change. This is the problem with the modern church. The modern church has changed and gone in a worldly direction instead of changing in a godly direction and going into the deeper things of God. You know, I was third generation church of God. My grandmother, God bless her heart, Never cut her hair after she was 12 years of age. 12 years old. She lived to be 95. So that's what, 80, 83 years she never, never cut her hair. Now, if she trimmed her hair or cut her hair, you think she'd have went to hell? No. But she had a conviction because she read there in 1 Corinthians 11, that's her glory. That's her glory. She didn't want to cut her glory. Now, I know this is a little old school for some of you today. But there are those who, who preach that as though it's heaven or hell. That's not the case. You see, the epistles, and I've said this before, and I'll reiterate it till I die, are written to the church to correct error that is existing you got to stop this. you got to stop that. you got to start doing this, and you got to start doing that. See? I tell people, they oh, God don't care whether uh, a man's got long hair. They, they all had long hair back then. Oh, they did? Well, go look at all your movies or, or the bust, B-U-S-T, of the Caesars. See how many of them had long hair? None. <laughs> That's what people want you to believe, though. See? They're looking for justification. I had a guy tell me one time, he said, well, the reason I have to have my hair long, I work outdoors and the sun's going to burn my ears. I mean, <laughs> I'm like, man, I've heard of a lot of excuses, but that's a new one to me. So you can find an excuse for just about anything. But if you really love the Lord, um, I, 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 I mean, we, we've just, we've got to realize, he said, be transformed. 
And the problem is we don't want to be transformed into his image and into his likeness. And that's what, that's what he says. I mean, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can prove, you can, you can test what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Then he concludes there in verse 3. For I say through the grace of God. See, Paul seasons even his own life, his own speech with the grace of God. For I say through the grace of God given unto me to every man that is among you, that a man ought not more think highly of himself than he ought to think. Every one of us are guilty by esteeming ourselves more highly than we ought to. And he relates it to drunkenness. But every man to think soberly, that word soberly in the Greek is sobriety, not in a drunken stupor. Think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Now, if you've ever been around a person drinking or a drunk, they can do everything better than anyone. They can run faster, leap higher, uh, drive a, a, a car faster down the drag strip. They can do everything better. Why? They are not sober. They are drunk. They are inebriated. And that's the liquor talking. That's the drugs talking. All the crazy stuff. Paul says, to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but think soberly. There's a reason he uses the word sober. You know, Peter used the word. 1 Peter 5 and 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary of the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Peter says you need to be sober, and you've heard me teach this. Peter was speaking from empirical knowledge. Now, he was unctioned by the Holy Ghost to pen those words, but he's also speaking from empirical knowledge or by experience when Jesus said, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows, he said, that's not true, Lord. You're, you're not right on this one. But before the rooster crowed that early morning, Peter had done denied the Lord three times, and he was cursing and swearing by the end of it. Peter said, you too better be sober because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He's, he's, he's looking. Satan, is, is, that's why he's described as a lion. He's on the prowl. He's looking. He's maneuvering. He's looking for an opportunity to seize and get a stronghold in your life. Jesus said to Peter, Satan hath desired to have you. Son, he wants you. But I've prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. You see, Jesus understands if Satan can have his way in your life, your faith will fail. You may not see that in that verse there in Luke twenty two thirty one. Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to have you that I might sift you as sweet, but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. When thou art converted, strengthen the brethren, that thy faith fail not. You see, Satan wants your faith to fail. If your faith fails, you give up, you quit, you lose hope. Faith is synonymous with hope. And he said, 
Satan hath desired to have you, that he might sift you as wheat. That word sift in the Greek means to riddle, to pierce, to perforate, to punch holes into your life. Satan is trying to punch holes into your life that your, your, your vessel sinks on the sea of life. It takes on so much water, it sinks. It goes under. That's what Satan wants. Jesus said, I've prayed for you, Peter, that your faith fail not. Now, let's be honest. His faith wavered in a measure. But see, when that rooster crowed, I believe it renewed his faith overwhelmingly. My God, he's right about everything. He goes out, he weeps bitterly, he repents, preaches the greatest Pentecostal sermon on, on Pente Pentecostal Sunday ever been preached. Preached it. 3,000 souls were saved. By the way, the message was to the Jews. Acts 2.36, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that same Jesus whom you have crucified, God hath made him both Lord and Christ. He was not talking to Gentiles. He was talking to Jews because the Jews didn't believe the Messiah. Isn't it amazing how people like Cornelius was already saved, serving the Lord. He was a Gentile. So how did he get saved? I believe you heard the message of John the Baptist according to Acts chapter 10. I believe they... We, don't, we limit John's ministry. We just act like it was just a little speck on, on, on God's uh, uh, map, just, just, just a little, little, little dot. Now, John's ministry was so great because he was the forerunner of Jesus. And then the day came, John says, I must decrease, he must increase. The roles changed. Man, he was baptizing them left and right. Water unto repentance. But he said, Jesus, when he comes, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Different baptism. And, and so that's why the Pharisees got trapped when trying to trap Jesus. He said, was, was John's baptism from above or from beneath? And he, they, he, See, Jesus knew how to ask the right question to trap them. Well, if we say, you know, it's of God, why don't we believe? If we say it's of men, we'll be stoned because of the converts. I wish I could be that wise in my life as Christ was. And see, in just, just a moment, how to pose the right question at the right time. We, we can be like that if we walk in the Spirit of God. So every man ought to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. I don't know what the measure is. I just know the Bible said it is the measure of faith. So it's a half a cup. It's a three quarters of a cup. It's a cup. It's a pint. It's a quart. It's a gallon. I don't know how much faith God gives, but God has given every man the measure of faith. And what you take with your faith and do with it is another thing. Peter had faith. Thus, Jesus says, I pray that your faith fail not. The measure that I've given you, I pray that it does not fail. It did not utterly, totally, completely fail. Peter goes out and repents. See, faith drove him to repentance. Jesus is right. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Son of God. And that's why there in John chapter 21, we see Jesus negating Peter's three denials by asking him three separate times, do you love me? You love me? You love me? You love me? Then feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Jesus was nullifying the denials. 
Jesus was nullifying Peter's denials when he denied Christ three times. He, he, he took those sins and he took those stains away. Let, let me say this in closing today. You think, man, I'm the only one that has these thoughts, that has these feelings, that has these emotions, that has these desires. Listen, the devil told the psalmist David, you can't be king anymore. Look at you, you, you adulterous, murderous heathen. Paul, Paul, look at look at the stuff you did. And you want to write epistles? You want to tell people how to live? Peter, you're cursing and you're swearing? You're denying the very Jesus, the Christ of God? You can't write two epistles for the Lord. I'll say it again. I marvel. I am amazed that God uses flawed men to preach a perfect gospel. You know, Paul wrote 13 epistles. Don't you know the devil said to him, you reprobate, look at you. Here you are writing epistles to the church at Corinth, to the church at Rome, the church at Philippi, the church at Ephesus, the church at Galatia. You're writing all of this stuff. And look how you used to live, Paul. Oh, that's why Paul said in Philippians 3, verses 13 and 14, he said, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God, which is in Christ Jesus. I'm pressing on, guys. Yeah, I've made my mistakes. Yes, I was a heathen, a reprobate, an apostate, a, a, a Pharisee, a sinner. But I'm redeemed, I'm forgiven, I'm cleansed, I'm washed in the blood of the Lamb, and I'm not looking back. Yeah, don't think the devil didn't throw Paul's past up to him. Paul said, I don't dwell on that. I forget those things. Now, you can read the epistles and know he didn't forget them. But he forgot them in the sense, I'll not let my past hold me hostage wherein I cannot do the work of God. You see, Peter, Paul, they understood justification. Remember, this teaching is about justification. The word justification means as though you were never guilty. You see, when you understand that, what liberty? Now, that doesn't give you a license to run out here and sin. It's just I can look at my past life and say, you know what? That was an ugly, heinous human being. But that's no more. That's gone. Can you imagine God looking at us through the shed blood of the Lamb, and he sees us holy, pure, clean, justified? That word justification is so powerful, it's as though you were never guilty. If a man is guilty, you can't justify him. He's guilty. But yet God, because of justification, says, oh, you never were guilty. So that's why there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. I know I was wrong. I know I was guilty of sin but I'm able to forgive myself. See, I, I believe people struggle in forgiving themselves. You know, the guilt, the psychological guilt. I, I've, I've done this, I've done that, I've messed up here, messed up there, and I, I just got to live a cripple the rest of my life. That's, that's not how God wants you to live. He wants you to live a life of victory, a victorious life. 
You have to let the past go. I'll never forget during the 40-day fast, the one phrase the Lord gave me was, forget the past, embrace the present. I will take care of your future. Let it go. Forget the past. Embrace today. Don't even think about tomorrow, son. I'll take care of your tomorrow. Hey, who knows? I may not even be here tomorrow. You know, I have an expiration date written on me. I don't know when it is. But if the Lord tarries, we're all going to be expired one day. Every one of us will expire. The Lord will come and we will not, or we'll, we'll either expire and go by the way of the grave. Either way, remember this. I, I know sometimes people live in fear, but the believer just goes to sleep. He just closes his eyes and he goes to sleep. Paul used that phrase, they which are asleep, they which are asleep. He's just going to sleep. And on resurrection day, hallelujah, the Holy Ghost is going to say, wake up, come up out of that grave, wake up. And the Holy Ghost, I promise you, can awaken everyone who's been washed in the precious blood of the Lamb. God bless you. Please join us with our great revival meeting, September the 3rd through October the 3rd. I'll see the you Monday of the Lord. Evangelism with David Langford is brought to you by the faithful listeners and supporters throughout America. If you're looking for an uncompromising message, we invite you to tune in each week to The Voice of Evangelism. For more information, write to The Voice of Evangelism at P.O. Box 502, Kayser, North Carolina, 28020. That's P.O. Box 502, Kayser, North Carolina, 28020.